0: This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about international business and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent decades. There's a little bit of history, a dash of economics, sprinkling of business and an overlay of personal experience both from me and from my interviewees from around the world. Today we will be talking to Bruno Pesic, engineer, innovator and businessman, president of Pesic Global based in Oslo, Norway i <laughs> you. This is the second time that Bruno has been on Interlinks with us and I have asked him back because he's just produced a new book called The Nine Big Don'ts of Corporate Innovation How to Spot and Avoid Costly Innovation Mistakes that I think is quite timely given where we are. So many of us over the last year in our personal, social and professional lives have been compelled to innovate to cope with the restrictions imposed upon us by COVID. Many of us I think are realising that much this innovation, although forced by emergency circumstances, will be very positive and perhaps stay with us for the long term, and that we are resilient and have a capacity to absorb innovation and change that we maybe did not suspect. Uh, so, we're asking ourselves what other opportunities for innovation are there that we can initiate now without the need to be forced? Um, but how can we do it in the most effective way? And that's what I'm going to be exploring with Bruno today. So, welcome, Bruno, and thank you very much for being here with us again today.
1: Well, I'm happy to be here again, Patrick. And uh, this was a really great introduction. I think you mentioned a lot of problems that are very present right now. And when we look at the history, Like all the difficult scenarios, all the pressure that mankind was put on always did lead to something good in the end. And I think that, again, we have this unique opportunity to really come up better than we were before. And I do hope that when we look back on this period 10 years from now, we will be able to say that we solved some well difficult problems.
0: Let's, let's, let's hope so. So maybe maybe just first to remind uh, listeners of, of your background story and how you. you moved from uh, your native Croatia. So you're originally from Croatia. Today, you're in Oslo, Norway, which is where you live and where you have your business. Just give us that little uh, background story yeah. again quickly.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So uh, I'll keep it a bit shorter than last time. So, very simply, I was uh, an engineer back in Croatia and I was fascinated by unmanned aerial vehicles, you know, the, the drones of yeah. today. And that is how I got to study the aeronautical engineering and how I got to discover uh, Norway because I won a scholarship from a Norwegian company called Kongsberg Gruppen. So, Kongsberg Group produces uh, defense systems from rockets to weapon systems, maritime oil and gas, and everything. And that is first how I got to discover Norway as a student. And then because I liked it so much, I moved from Croatia to Norway in 2016. And it's funny because Norwegians always ask me, why would you do that? Why would you move from sunny Croatia to cold and, you know, winter Norway? And I said, come on, Europe before COVID-19 is really small. You can just hop on a plane and fly whenever. You know, I can be from Zagreb to Oslo in three hours, stops. Now Mm -hmm. that's a bit uh, longer journey. Uh, if you want to have it safe with a car and everything. But I still have a feeling that Europe is a small piece of geography, and why not use the opportunity? I had an opportunity to live whenever, and why not? And that is how I ended up in Norway.
0: Excellent. So tell me, uh, what motivated you to write this particular book and to write it right now? So I think that right now, You covered
1: very well in your introduction. It is, now is the time to really critically look at all the investments organizations do, both big and small. Because in difficult situations like this one, it is imperative to really have, in the lack of better word, tight control over your investments, over your budget. You really need to be sure that where you're putting your money will bring something back. So you can focus on both thriving during difficult time, but also if you thrive, you can help others better. It's very difficult to help others if you cannot care of yourself. So that that is one part. Now, why this specific topic? So uh, maybe it doesn't roll off the tongue the easiest, but I decided to focus on nine big don'ts instead of nine best do's of corporate innovation because of something that's called survivorship bias. So I will share a a great example when investigators of airplane accidents were investigating what are the critical determinants for people, the passengers, to evacuate successfully and survive the accident. What they found out was it was not important how physically fit the person is or how distressed they are during the accident. But the only thing that mattered was if they tried to get their possessions from the overhead bin. Because everybody who tried to get their possessions from the overhead bin did not unfortunately survive. So that is something survivorship bias is when we focus so much on the winners and we try to emulate them that we don't pay attention to what all the losers do. And that is kind of, when I look at innovation, innovation by itself is risky and challenging. So why make it any more difficult by doing silly mistakes that are easily avoidable? So th- that was kind of, okay, I want to point to the obvious or obvious maybe to us that are experts in the field that are spending, they have spent decades studying and practicing. So I have worked in defense, in manufacturing, in entertainment, in education, in maritime, in certification, in oil and gas. So I have, I had, good fortune of seeing different type of mistakes and what, which of those are recurring from industry to industry. And kind of the big thing is when you point at it, solution pops up in most of the cases. And that, that is kind of, you know, uh, it's usually attributed to Einstein, but I don't think he really said it, but kind of uh, if you gave me, no, that was Lincoln. If you gave me an X to chop down the tree, I would spend most of the time sharpening the X. And mm-hmm. then I would go to, to chop down the tree. And to Einstein was, you know, if you give me a problem, I will spend most of the time thinking about the problem and then come up with solution at the last minute. And kind of a similar thing is here. The moment you become aware of these mistakes, solution becomes, I don't want to say trivial, but you're a professional in your own industry. When you know what the problem is, you will come up with a solution. Engineers can come up with new products and services when you point them to a need in the market. So that, that that was kind of the angle and why here, why now? And yeah, why I did now.
0: I did I did wonder why you framed it as a don't <laughs> rather than a do. Yeah. Like now you now you've explained it. Thanks. Very good. So um you, you know a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, innovation that's for Apple or that's for uh, Amazon and Jeff Bezos mm-hmm. and these folks, so not really for me, but so why do you think Uh, innovation is is important for all business. And, Mm. you know, what about this adage that we hear from people, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why is that Mm -hmm. not the way to go? So what
1: I would like to offer here um, is a reframing. So uh, the old adage, if it ain't broke, why fix it? It positions innovation as a process that you use if something is broken. And I would like to invite all your listeners and everybody that you need to reframe this. Innovation at its core is a value creation activity. That is what you use innovation for. It's not supposed to be used to, to fix broken things. That's what you have continuous improvement. That's what you have problem solving. Something popped up and then you need to solve that. You need to mend it. You need to heal it. But innovation, yes, it can be used to mend and heal, but primarily the way I speak about innovation, how innovation is, it's about creating something new that's beneficial. That might be a vaccine that never existed before, but it can also be you know, value propositions that create new revenue streams for your company. And that—that that is kind of uh, how I look at it and why I say it's important. What is a mistake, though, is to think that organization only exists to innovate or that you say that innovation is our sole purpose. That I think is dangerous and is not really honest in most of the cases. Not even Apple, Amazon and all the companies that you mentioned, they don't exist to innovate. They exist to you know, further their own agendas and they're using innovation to get there. And that is kind of, you know, this, this small, small reframings in our mind, I think, can make a lot of difference when making decisions on how to proceed.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm glad you drew that distinction between problem solving and innovation in the sense that problem solving is putting something back to the way it was before. Whereas Mm -hmm. innovation is creating something that never existed before. So it's taking things to a new level and they're quite Mm -hmm. distinct. And I guess the the thinking and the approach is quite, quite distinct as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Inside innovation itself, Mm -hmm. um, are there different types of innovation? And if there are, how would you characterize them? Oh, Patrick, so, so I'm smiling because uh, we could probably have, I don't know, 20
1: episodes ju- just on these. <laughs> so I will focus on what I believe would be the most useful distinction to your listeners. So there are many different types of innovation. Uh, many journal articles and books have been written about it. But to me, the most important, starting from what innovation is, creating value for both the customer and the organization. And then starting from something that we usually call core, adjacent, and transformational innovation. So that came from uh, Jeff and Tuff uh, from Innovation Ambition Matrix, but I defined these three terms a little bit different. So to me, distinction between what you're innovating at the core versus what you're innovating on the outside, so-called adjacent and transformational, is important because they cannot be managed the same way. So just to demystify the term a little bit, core innovation, look at all your products and services, everything that you're selling and are getting income for, and then tally up either revenue or net economic profit and sort it percentage-wide cumulatively from the top percentage and then all the way down. When you get to 80% of total revenue, that means that is your core. So 80% of what you earn from constitutes your core products and services. That's the easiest way to resolve that dilemma. So then whatever you do, either problem-solving, continuous improvement or innovation in that area, that is core innovation. The benefit of that is it's less risky because you're doing something you already know. Let's say that... uh, you're not changing your existing products and services and you're not changing your business model. But you say, we want to introduce new technology to handle, I I don't know, economic order quantities. So there is a risk in technological adaptation of that. There is the risk of failing in the change management, but there isn't that much risk on the side of that as a revenue source, unless you really, really, really mess it up Mm badly. But but when you start looking at, okay, if we are changing either the product or service or we are changing who are we selling it to in very simplified terms, suddenly you're introducing new risk. Because you cannot or you should not assume that just because, um, I don't know, uh, Patrick, you work mostly in logistic area. Yeah, that, that correct, is your yeah. So, so let, let's say I'm, I'm uh, inventing here. Let's say that you have a, a logistic operator specialized in uh, freighting with ships. So they're in a B2B sphere, they're operating with such type of customers, and they say, hey, we want to move into adjacent market, we also want to start air freight, so shipping by planes. And if they would assume that just because they're good at operating fleets of vessels, of ships, and that they could just take those operating procedures and sell them in the exactly same way to their existing customers and operate their air fleet in the exactly the same way, that would be a massive risk. There might be some things that they can transfer, but they, should, they shouldn't assume it's a safe bet and bam, let's put in a billion euros or a 500 million euros in building that capacity. They would need to adopt innovators' mindset. They would need to test their strategy, their assumptions to see if they can actually operate this. What is different? How is it different? They would need to discover that early to save the money long-term
0: what's the role of uh, serendipity in mm. innovation and can the creative process actually be systemized without losing that creative part? Ooh, that's, that's a good question. So on serendipity,
1: uh, there is fortune favors the bold, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I would say fortune favors the prepared.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> I I think that that's just the, the best answer. So, uh, you know, You cannot go to the gym and lift 200 kilos on a deadlift unless you practice every day for as long as you need to reach that. And maybe you will never reach that because you're too small or whatever. And uh, uh, creativity and systemization. Historically, there is probably some reason why we split that left brain, right brain, and so on. But I think it's such a simplistic view, like when people immediately put themselves in one bracket, like we're humans, we are more than one thing. And creativity and analytical thinking are two things that go hand in hand together. We need to use systematization and standardization for all the boring stuff, how to write things down, how to test ideas. That unleashes and allows us to spend energy on being creative. I don't need to be creative how to write things down. We don't need to be creative how to record this podcast. That is something that should be standard. Where we want to be creative is now you and me discussing these topics. So that that is that's
0: my view on that. Yeah, so it's a false dichotomy in effect, right? Oh, that's that's perfect wording. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> so your book your book covers nine don'ts of corporate innovation. What are the two or three most salient mistakes mm. that companies make when embarking on this path to innovation that you'd like to highlight?
1: Okay, so I'd say they're all salient, but uh, for for to share to highlight maybe two provocative ones, or or at least the ones that people find most provocative. So one mistake I often see is wasting time on prioritization. And this is where people really go, oh, what what do you mean here? Everybody's talking focus is the best thing ever. That's true. Focus is the best thing ever. But here I'm talking about specifically from the perspective of innovation. If you have a brainstorming session and you come up with 90 ideas and then you try to prioritize them, that, in my opinion, is a total waste of time if you have not defined your strategy before that and what are you willing to invest in. Because you might spend days you know, evaluating ideas that realistically you would never pick. So a better approach is define your innovation strategy in advance, say what you're willing to invest in, and then immediately kill all the ideas that do not fit the criteria. And this is where people get afraid. It's like, oh, what if I kill the the next unicorn, the next great thing? Let me tell you something. If something is good, it will come back. (laughs) If something is good, it will come back. So that is one. Another one that's especially, uh, I I would say, important or relevant to managers and executives, and that is, please don't invest in orphan ideas. Ideas without people are meaningless. Ideas don't get executed by themselves, just like projects don't. So idea, or should I say here better, innovation project is an idea plus a team plus a specific objective. If you don't have a group of people that will work on this idea, you cannot say we are moving forward with this idea. And that often happens when managers, or in this case, a group of management sets a strategy and says, we're going to do A, B, and C. And we are done here. You are not done here if A, B, or C doesn't have specific people to take this further. I go in a little bit more detail in the ebook itself, along mm-hmm. with the solution. A couple but of these two, I would say, are provocative.
0: Yeah, a couple of uh, questions related to those. So the first one, in terms of uh, innovation and strategy, what's the relationship between them? Are they do they always go together? Not necessarily, is you know. Or, or how does that how does that work? So.
1: Very succinctly, I see it as, as this way. For large businesses, meaning more than one business unit, more than 10,000 employees, uh, international, etc., they usually have and should have a business strategy which determines uh, the direction for the organization. Then that makes it much easier for the innovation to exist within that company because there are some specific objectives where innovation can contribute to. So then you say, okay, we have these objectives, and then we can find ways how to achieve or contribute to these objectives that are out of the ordinary, let's say so. So that, that, that would be on the bigger side. On the SME side, smaller organizations, family organizations, I don't think they should separate them as hard. They should just think, okay, innovation is one of the activities that we do to get our results. And that's, that's it. So that is how I would uh, say the relationship works between the
0: two. Yeah, And then on, on the second one, why do so many uh, struggle with the transition from the idea mm. on paper to the manifestation of that as a product or service or something tangible in the real world? Mm, mm, mm.
1: Well, that's, that's a really good question. The one I think uh, everybody is asking themselves at least uh, once in life, like why didn't what I had in my head go as I hoped it would go. So, first thing, and that is also covered in the ebook as well, is a distinction between a thought and idea. Just, you know, when you're having a shower and you have the shower thoughts, you're brilliant. <laughs> you know, modern. that's where
0: I get all my best ideas in the shower. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the
1: flashes of inspiration. And that is that, that's what I say. This sounds like semantics, but I think it's important. So, these flashes of inspirations, they're thoughts that needs to be refined into an idea. To me, an idea that I can say is worth my time or my money or something else, it needs to be written down. It needs to be, okay, what is this actually about? Who is this for? How are they better off? How am I better off? If I cannot put that down, I don't have an idea. So that's the first step, having an idea at all. And then why so many fail? I usually say, well, it's one of these three fears. People. I know, we're social creatures. We're afraid of being ridiculed. So kind of if I say, you know, I want to have a banana stand on moon, it's likely that people would, you know, laugh at me or say, Bruno, what, what, what the hell are you talking about? You want to start a banana stand on moon? How, how is that a sustainable business? So, you know, we need to be able to overcome this fear of ridicule. And the easiest way is to remember, who is this for? If you have very clear that my idea is for monkeys on the moon, then the only opinion that should matter are from the monkeys on the moon. And then the next two is obviously fear of failure. People are afraid if they put their creative ideas out there, their ego, and they fail, that they will be stigmatized, that it will be difficult to find a job. It will be difficult to get ahead in the career. And the third one is fear of success. If you're actually successful with your innovative idea, then you have the responsibility to turn it into business. And that is not what everybody wants. Some people just like to be creative and come up with stuff. But they don't want to actually, you know, take it to the world, and that's fair. But you need to be aware of it.
0: Interesting, yeah. So, and then if you think of innovation and people, when you when you mention it, or we have a conversation like this, you know, they're thinking about things like uh, the iPhone and you know, big uh, world-beating uh, changes. But there's another level of innovation, isn't there, that, you know, that we need to have every day to be making Mm. incremental changes. And in small companies, we can't have, you know, an innovation department. It's something that we have Mm. to do as part of the way we do things. So how can we create an environment to promote these kind of small incremental innovations at all levels, as well as these big blockbusters? Mm.
1: I think that's also a million dollar question. And uh, here you mentioned before, like false uh, dichotomy, right? Yeah. And this th- this is another one that exists in organizations when it comes to innovation and quality. So it's somehow that uh, continuous improvement is always expected that quality departments should do it or someone should should be responsible for that. And the same for innovation, like someone should be responsible for that. And I agree with what you say, it should be the job of everybody, everywhere, every day. And to me, it's, again, these two worlds, continuous improvement with continuous innovation. So that means daily changes for the better, develop the muscles to actually come up with the breakthrough improvements. And yes, here you don't need innovation management department or or anything like that. But what you do need is foster the culture of curiosity and taking action on that curiosity. People people say, like, uh, fail fast or, or, or nurture failure. Come on, who wants to fail? I don't want to fail. I want to be the best in the market I'm in. Foster curiosity. Ask questions. Don't punish questions. And then foster and reward taking action on this curiosity. Why does that machine work how it works? Why does our client always do the things that they do? You know, why does our supply chain work the way it does? All the small parts, everywhere in the organization. A great example was uh, an employee that asked, why is there a drop of water here? There are no pipes here. Why is there a drop of water here? You know, we would laugh at that question, but that shows you the type of curiosity I'm talking about. Really? Why is it here? They investigated and they actually found a leak from the rooftop although there were no pipes, and it went through the walls and came to to that specific part. They prevented it before any mistakes could happen. No breakthrough innovation there, but that kind of talent and that kind of thinking will lead to breakthrough innovation.
0: And how are you seeing the events of the last year or so with COVID feeding into attitudes and approaches that companies are now bringing to innovation? Has it broken something in us? (laughs) For the, good, okay, uh, for the good, for the good,
1: for the good. So so I think it has shaken a lot of organizations uh, to life. And here, here I'm talking uh, about the bigger organizations, especially. So an acquaintance said, Bruno, they're killing all innovation projects in my organization. And I said, good, they should be because you were wasting so much money on doing stuff that will never lead to anything. So it's good that people are more critically looking at what they're doing, how they're spending money. I mean, when you have glut, yes, it can go to the sides, but it's still wasteful. To me, the most disrespectful thing is to waste time of your employees, of your colleagues and doing things that will never lead to anything is one way to do so. So I'm seeing that as a change. At the same time, uh, Maybe we have spoken about that in the last time we've spoken together, but pretty much the organizations that decided to put their hand in the sand and hoping that this passes over and it will be just uh, one round, they've been proven wrong. And I think it's just another uh, signal that you need to act. You need to be touching your with your customer base and understand how their life changes so you can adapt, survive, and serve them better.
0: Mm-hmm. And in, in, in a general sense then, so outside of the specific kind of work mm. you'd be doing with clients, um, in the way we live, in the way we work, the way we socialize, mm. what kind of positive innovations do you think there have been that will stay with us after COVID has kind of normalized somewhat? Mm.
1: So, what I, I don't expect this to stay, but I hope it starts the change for something different. And that is how we organize work. So a lot of companies had to move from physical to remote work. Obviously, I'm not here talking about uh, physical work like uh, loading cargo that, well, Mm. we still need to do it with with human labor, but I'm talking about knowledge work, uh, blue collar work, and so on, where we moved from, okay, I don't need to be in the office. I can be at home or somewhere else, and I can be on the camera, and I can have a conversation. Uh, why I hope that this will continue not just work from home but challenging the whole concept of working eight hours a week Oh, sorry, a day, not a week but a day <laughs> and we can already see for the four, 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 day work week and things like that but in general the whole concept of uh, you have employees and you're paying them for a specific number of hours every week I hope this gets challenged and does change for the different, because of what has happened this year, because companies have seen that they can trust their remote employees mm-hmm. to get work done.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's been an interesting uh, experience, and I think our idea of what's possible and what is workable has changed a lot. Mm. of A lot of old frames have been broken, I think, and it's 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 interesting. And some of it, some of it will be for the good for the long term. So tell me, uh, Bruno, uh, to finish. Where can people find your ebook and more about the work you do with your clients? So the ebook, the easiest way to
1: find it is uh, to go to my website. I will spell it out. So it's p e s e c dot n o. If you cannot uh, find it, you can write to me. It's Bruno at p e s e c dot n o, and I'll help you. And in in the final solution. People can write to you as well and ask you, "Hey, Patrick, yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you had you had that guy, and I cannot find anything what you said about. Please help out." So yeah. I, I would say th- these three venues okay. and kind of uh, for the work. As as I said, I mostly help uh, larger organizations innovate profitably, and what I say here is, you know, get benefits from your investments in innovation. People too many times think that innovation is just playing PR that's to me that doesn't make sense innovation is creating value to your customers and to yourself and that's what i do
0: excellent so it's uh p-e-s-e-c dot n-o for norway right uh, exactly. And the email is Bruno, B-R-U-N-O, at P-E-S-E-C, Pesic.no, for Norway. Yes. 100%. Okay. Thank you uh, so much, Bruno. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you again today. So uh, thanks also to our listeners. And remember that if you would like to find out more about globalization, international business, and how we can help you to formulate and implement your strategies, please check out my blog and website on albalogistics.com and my book, International Supply Chain Relationships which can be purchased on Amazon and Google Books. So this is Patrick Daly of Alba Consulting. Goodbye and keep well until the next time.